Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to give you a quick update of the progress here on the podcast. The Tip with Spear Leadership Podcast has evolved and is rapidly growing. So it's impossible without you, the listener, and I can't thank you enough. So after 12,000 downloads, countless messages, and reviews, I've decided to simplify the message of what I'm doing here. So the goal as we have evolved, just as we do in our fire service career and in our life, the Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast will now have a more simplistic, street-smart approach to the leadership in today's fire service. You obviously can't know where you're going without knowing where you've been, so we will continue to value the traditions and the history of the fire service. Today's fire service needs modern solutions for the hurdles we face today. So stay tuned as we continue to bring on fire service leaders who've spent time in the streets, running calls, and they bring real-world experiences and solutions. Thank you guys. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Idealistic mindset. As firefighters, we often look at ourselves with an unrealistic and idealistic mindset by allowing ourselves to hold up, hold on to our last victory. A victory that can easily triumph us into dangerous cycles of complacency, understand that we can never truly match our former selves and that our last victory should not impact our performance of today. We often hear the catchphrase, you're only as good as your last fire. However, this concept should focus more on what the challenge was rather than the success or the endeavor of the victory. Most importantly, we must identify the notion in what we, we create. We must fully understand the landscape in which we thrive through a natural raw state of reality, a reality fortified by letting go of that last victory and allowing ourselves to attack complacency from a direct, honest perspective. Remember, it's not the last fire that defines who we are. It's the next. Everybody, I'm joined today by my friend Mickey Farrell of the New York City Fire Department. He's a lieutenant and currently a covering officer in Harlem, and he's the creator of Top Floor Tactics. He's also a fire instructor and has 22 years in the fire service. Mickey, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So the excerpt we started with was uh, from your Instagram profile, uh, Top Floor Tactics. And I think the idealistic mindset is something that resonates specifically with company officers. So if you could elaborate on that and um, kind of give us the background of where that came from and um, you know how you see it and apply it when you're at work every day. So yeah, so the idealistic mindset, it's kind of a way of looking at the job in the sense that we always think that we're as good as the last fire we went to. Um, far too often, we overlook the mistakes we make. Uh, and with that, moving forward into the fire service today, I feel like humility is something that, that gets banished or not spoken about. Um, every single fire we go to, we make mistakes. And it's understanding if we take these mistakes and collectively share them with one another, as a company, we can move further into success um, at a faster pace, at a quicker level, if you will. Um, we need to replay every moment of every fire if you want to improve your game. Um, and that starts with even the drive home. Say you don't go to a fire in that tour. Um, there's so many mistakes that are made throughout the day, especially on the company officer level. Um, it's my sanctuary, kind of my meditative state. When I do leave the firehouse after a tour, even if we do no fire duty, uh, just reflecting on the mistakes that I've made um, and understanding that 
going back into your next tour, your next set, um, you have to do better but capitalize on those mistakes that you made on the last tour. Do you ever find yourself reflecting on calls and then somehow, some way, the opportunity always presents itself? It's almost like history repeats itself and you know, instinctually it just it grasps you. You ever had a situation like that? And could you uh, maybe elaborate on it? So everything in life, I truly believe there's a 99% failure rate. But with that being said, humility is a very coachable trait. Um, identifying that humility and being able to coach yourself into success is what will make you a better firefighter. Um, like you said, it repeats itself and it does. Um, but it's understanding that your mistake does not define who you are. It defines the moment you're within. Um, and by taking that mistake and, and, and progressing forward with it, it's success not only for you, but for your company. And I think the guys, the guys and girls that work with you, they're going to always feed off of that. And, and you know what? And I've said this time and time again, you know, the people that you lead are always going to see absolutely everything you do and you don't do. And I guess to go a little bit further into it is they're going to see how you recover from it. So like, you know, I'm sure when you were a firefighter throughout your years, there was times where you had an officer that was either, you know, really good, kind of gets it done and not so good. And one thing in my experience is how those officers handled adversity and um, those mistakes they make. I've had a few officers where it would ruin their day, ruin their week and all that. And then I've had a couple officers, one who uh, sticks out in my mind that's you know, somebody that I, I try to emulate now that I'm an officer is, you know, nine times out of 10, he does really good. And then there's that 10th time where it's just, everything goes to absolute crap. And he's like, yep, this, I did X, Y, and Z wrong. It's all good. We're going to fix it. And this is how we're going to fix it. And we worked through it. We did some training and that was the end of it. And he, never, and he never talked about it again. He only talked about it when it was applicable to whatever we were drilling on, but it was never the woe is me and all that. So I think being able to rebound with confidence is just as important as being able to make a decision. What do you think about that? I mean, confidence is everything. Um, confidence comes from a series of mistakes. It's similar to, we speak about aggressive firefighting. Now, we all want to be aggressive, but truly, what is aggressive firefighting? I believe it is a series of mistakes that are compiled into your future. And when you can understand the humility within those mistakes, you're that much more of a confident firefighter. Confidence comes um, success. I was very lucky in the sense where I did a complete career as a firefighter. I didn't get promoted until I had over 20 years on the back step. Um, so with that being said, I had a lot of experience of leadership from within the company level, watching and learning from some of the best fire officers that this job has to offer anywhere in the world. Um, and as well as learning from officers, like you said, that maybe weren't as polished as I would like to be. Um, so I find myself in the moment now with so many challenges of learning, being a young leader, a young in the sense of in the rank, um, reflecting on those moments, good or bad, with, with multiple officers throughout my career. And again, getting promoted so late in my life, um, it was a journey of, of a series of mistakes that get me to that point where the fire floor, that always works out, um, more or less. That just it just kind of irons out itself from working with such tremendous firefighters. But on a leadership level, well, huge learning curve for me in the sense that now I'm not in the back seat. I'm in the front seat. And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. 
And I, not that I wasn't prepared for it, but I didn't realize, realize how important truly that role was. Because when you're in a leadership within, it's kind of a team. But when you're up front, you're leading the team. It, and it's, uh, it's a huge honor, but it's, it's a huge responsibility as well. It's also something I don't think anything's going to prepare you for until you do it. Exactly. Um, I was 28 when I got promoted to the rank of lieutenant. And at that point, I had eight years in the department I was working for. I am working for, excuse me. And since then, I've been a uh, lieutenant for the last, it'll be eight years in a couple weeks. So in eight years, I mean, if you think about it, I walked in with the bravado of, you know, well, I'm an officer now. And they're gonna, they're gonna learn. They're gonna listen to me. I'm gonna tell them what to do, and they're gonna do it. And I was sadly mistaken. You know, I think there is something to be said about getting promoted later in your life because of your maturity level and then your grasp of, uh, I guess, how the fire service works. Um, I would assume 20 years still probably wouldn't feel like it's enough to take that step. And now you're, you know, now you're the guy in charge. And sometimes I think it's all about mindset. And one of the things that you brought up too was uh, mediocrity. And I want to get into mediocrity a little bit and I'm bringing up mediocrity now because the generations of the fire service or generations of firefighters coming in now. And, and, you know, these younger guys are getting promoted. People are getting promoted younger and younger. Now you have a, um, a generational gap to fill or a generational hurdle to jump. And, and I think in the modern fire service, it's definitely something that can be a challenge. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that whole bravado of old school fire service. The fire service is dead because of this. Well, no, I mean, this is now our challenge. This is our challenge as leaders to step up and stop mediocrity, stop the, um, excuses of the fire service is dead or the job is dead. Millennials are ruining the fire service. Today's generation just doesn't get it. It's up to us. Cause I guarantee you, if you went back in time and stopped in at the nineties, they're saying the same thing about the people coming in. You go back to the eighties, they're saying the same thing. The seventies, sixties. I mean, it's all, you know, the same stuff people are saying. This is just now our generation of what we have to fix and how we have to step up. So I think, you know, you probably have a much better, um, I guess, scope of this because getting promoted with 20 years on old, later in your life, I, w- I really wish I could go back in time and wait to get promoted at 37 as opposed to 28, 29. You know what I mean? If I could have waited till now, been mature, have a family, a lot more life experience, I think it, I think it would... Um, I don't think it would ever fully make you prepared, ready, or uh, good to go with it, but I definitely think the foundation would have been much better to be able to, uh, you know, be a good leader, be a better leader, I should say. Yeah, so reflecting on on the fact that the job is dead, the millennials are ruining the fire service, that these generations just doesn't get it, statements we hear daily, um, I can honestly say that I was a survivor of this. I was that guy. 14, 15 years, kind of in a slump. Tremendous firehouse working with, with the best firemen in the world, in my opinion. Um, I wasn't unhappy. I just, I wasn't fired up anymore. Um, and I flipped the switch. I leveled up within myself and I challenged myself to self-mastery, which is an ongoing pursuit in life. Um, so with that, I truly feel by changing myself 
changing my outlook, changing the future of how I look at this job, I am changing the job. Even if it's a small baby steps, I do truly believe that we're making forward progress in making this job that much better. Um, so I was hiding in plain sight, and I think it happens. I think everyone at one point in their career hides in plain sight, simply meaning that the fires go good, the kitchen table's fun, but you're not fired up to go to work, and you can't wait to go home. And you can work in the best firehouse in the world. I think everybody goes through that lull at least once or twice in their career. And that's okay. I think it's a healthy exchange of, of mind balance. But looking at the ultimate goal towards the future of your career is staying motivated. And I truly believe that'll change the job at the end if you can identify within that you're in that moment and reject it. Can you... Uh... Do you think you could get into an example of exactly uh, what you're talking about as far as your slump? You had the uh, hide in plain sight uh, mentality. You said it was around that 14-year slump in your job uh, when you were at work. I mean, your career, excuse me. What uh, can you go into that a little bit and for our listeners, uh, kind of exp- you know, give a couple examples or so and what you did, what you did to get out of it. Um, as far as examples, I mean, like I said, things were going good. Like I wasn't unhappy, but. Um, I was always super into the job. There wasn't a day that didn't go by where I didn't think about fire. I mean, my father was a fireman, my grandfather was a fireman, my uncle was a fireman. So fire is a part of my life. Um, it was never a part of my life on this level as far as the top floor tactics and the training aspect. Like I was always into it, but not on this level. Um, so I turned, I had an opportunity. Someone reached out to me and said, I think this would be good for you. And I took a little bit of time off from the firehouse and I went to the fire academy and I talked to Proby school. Best thing I've ever done in my entire career. Really, really the, the, the pinnacle of my career. When I look back, I truly believe it'll be my time spent at the fire academy, um, molding and shaping these young firefighters um, that I started to live through. I started to watch them develop and it really brought me back to how lucky I truly was to be in the position. I am the greatest job in the world. Um, so that was a big change for me, and that kind of sparked me. And then I realized that there truly was a subculture of our fire service, of training and conferences and, and, and publications and books. Like I knew the main players, but I didn't realize there was such a strong subculture within training throughout the country. And I'm so blessed now to be teaching with some of the best in the world, not only working with them. So, you know, there's an old saying – well, maybe it's not an old saying, but there's a saying that says um... – a pot of water boils from the bottom up, right? What do you think that says to uh, the younger generation when you're now as an officer with 20 year, 22 years, excuse me, in the fire department with uh, 20 of them being a firefighter? What do you think that provides you with the opportunity when you see someone struggling? Like how, how do you think that would help them? And, you know, what do you think, what kind of effects do you think that would have on you know, somebody younger than you is struggling. Now that you're an officer and you're, you're able to, um, you know, be a mentor. My favorite part of being an officer is kind of looking at it as a coach. Um, I truly believe great leaders are on this earth to inspire young firefighters. My main objective is to inspire. And by inspiring young firefighters, it's to understand that we have to fall in love with the process of this job. You know, we're so quick to go into the fire academy. We get into the fire academy. Now we can't wait to get out of the fire academy. You get to your first firehouse. 
and you may go to an engine. You spend a couple of years in the engine, but you're looking across the floor. Can't wait to cross the floor to get to the truck. Eventually, if you do the right thing, you stay motivated, you have the opportunity to cross the floor. Now you're in the truck for a few years, going to a couple of fires, and you see the big rescue truck pull up, right? You see the squad pull up. These guys are going to work, going to a lot of fires, and you want a little bit more. So you start looking for the next greatest thing. Or if that's not your cup of tea, maybe you're into the books, you're studying. And that's great. It's all good things because we have to be progressively moving forward with this job. And everything we do, we cannot become complacent. Um, when you get comfortable, comfortable thrives complacency. So I understand we want to be looking forward throughout our career. But starting in the beginning and having these roadblocks or these speed bumps throughout is just understanding we have to fall in love with the process. That's the best part. It's not the destination. We hear it all the time. It truly is the journey. But with the fire service, this is the problem. The journey is so quick. Before you know it, five turns into 10, 10 turns into 15, 15 turns into 20, and you're talking about retirement. It happens at a blink of an eye. Um, so for those young firefighters, my main goal is to inspire them to just slow down and just love the job every day you come to work. Live in the moment. You got to live in the moment. You have to enjoy the conversation by conversation. You have to enjoy, I mean, my, my personal favorite is the ball breaking that goes on in the firehouse, on the fire truck, to and from calls, you know, those kind of things. There's things that make this job the best job in the world. And, you know, to kind of emphasize a little bit and talk to your point, um, I think that one of the most rewarding things in my career, the one of the most rewarding things I've ever been able to do was be an officer. And it's rewarding because I've been able to mentor people. I've been able to be mentored. You know, you coach people, you lead people. And, you know, you always have that opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. There's been several times, and, and I, I hate to admit this, and I hate to say this out loud. I've had one, per, I had one person, uh, one particular situation, a person came to me and said, talked about this entire scenario, this entire thing that played out when I worked overtime with him and how it made such a big deal. And he said it was, you know, four or five years ago. And I don't remember this at all. I have, I don't, I remember um, working there. Like I know the day he's taught, like I know what he's talking about as far as the day I worked overtime at that station. I don't remember this guy. I don't recognize him at all, but he remembered every single thing that I said, how I handled that situation and how I helped him work through it and how it changed him. I don't know. I mean, I, I hope it doesn't sound bad on my end, but. To me, it felt like a normal day of being an officer, but for him, it he from what, from his words, it changed his entire trajectory. Now this kid's getting ready to. Uh, he just took the lieutenant's test, like a whole big thing, and I'm and it blew me away. It really did, um, because I think I think the coaching and the inspiring and developing um, the people that we work with, uh, guys and girls on our crew. I think it's a never ending thing. And I think you should always um, live in the moment, as I said before. And, you know, I don't think anyone will ever go and say, hey, I've run enough fires. I'm satisfied. I don't think you're going to hear that. Well, I mean, I guess you could. But I think the good ones and the great firefighters are never really going to say that. Um, but, you know, I feel like if you continuously chase that next best thing, as you said, as you know, if you continuously chase it, I mean, you're never really going to get it, right? 
you're never going to find it because something is always going to, in my opinion, seem like it's better. Now, I'm not saying don't aspire. I'm not saying, you know, don't work on an engine. Don't ever aspire to work on a truck or a rescue and any of that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, you know, you do have to understand and remember where you are. And as you said, live in the, you know, uh, your career goes by so fast. I blinked. I have 16 years on. I have four years left before I'm eligible to retire. And I've been a lieutenant for almost eight years out of nowhere, just blink of an eye, as you said. So, you know, I think it's our job as officers, you know, to really inspire those, the younger guys and girls. I, I think that that's going to come through training. I think that's going to come through leading by example. And, uh, what I wanted to ask, and I'm sorry for being long winded about that. What, do you have any, uh, any incidents come up where, you know, you think your mentorship or your ideologies that you pushed off where it really, uh, affected somebody and have you ever heard back from anyone like that or can you talk about that at all? I mean, having the ability with rhetorical tactics has opened so many doors for me, not only on the teaching platform, but just the connection of firefighters across the country. But even more personal is just the generation of, of social media, right? Everyone has the phone in their hand. It's become the senior man. You have the senior man, obviously, in the palm of your hand at this point. Um, so I've connected with so many young firefighters that I've taught over the years within my job. Um, and it grows. And it's, it's, it, I have hundreds of firefighters now that I reach to daily um, that bounce off ideas, problems at the kitchen table, um, problems from the senior man, what to do. It's, uh, it's, a, it's quite humbling that, to have to, it's quite humbling to be in that situation of not only sure. trying to command a company, but also develop a job progressively forward through their complications and through their trials of what it is to be a young firefighter. Um, so what I put out there, message to the probie is a little series I've done. Um, on tactics, and they get tremendous feedback from the young firefighters. They're not only in their first probationary year, but like firefighters moving throughout their career, they kind of use that as a reference guide of, 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 of where to move forward in their career, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. No, it definitely does. And I read through some of that and I think, I mean, I think, I really think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of it. And there's a lot of those things, a lot of the topics that you cover, because I think it's, it should be an ongoing series where you have a handful of them. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I think there's so much good inference. So ugh. there is a lot of good information in there. Um, and I think it's the relatability part, right? You're not looking through a book for any of those. That's all stuff from your mind, your experiences, uh, your trials, tribulations, all those things. And I think, you know, you said it a few minutes ago about having the senior man in your, in your hand. I think it's the relatability. You, you know what I mean? So now instead of, you know, I'm going to go ask somebody on my shift or, you know, I'm not really sure how to do this. The engagement now is, well, I can flip over to my Instagram and I can follow top floor tactics and Hey, this is the stuff that I'm going through. Oh, look at this. They're going through it too. I think it's, I think it's the relatability. I think relatability is absolutely everything. And it's something as a company officer that you have to embrace to really get through to those young guys. And, and I, and I think that's why, I mean, my personal opinion, I know that's why everything has just taken off for you, especially with your your the top floor tactics stuff. It's just the relatability. Everything I go through when I read it, 
you know, I'm like, I get that. You know, in my mind, I have a situation where I can think of where it's very similar to that. It's, it's just the relatability. And I think that's why the coaching and, and, and development and spot inspiration for especially those young guys, why it's so uh, popular and why everyone just, it kind of feels like it, everybody gets it, you know? Yeah. You know, you, you said the word re- relatability. And this is something that I think we've kind of lost the mark for, for new officers is that, you know, they say, at least in my job, they want you to remove yourself from the men, especially if you're not assigned to a certain company. And I truly believe that leadership comes from from trust and you have to become yourself. If, if they don't know who you are on a personal level, how are they going to trust you on the fire floor? Um, it's one thing to, to be good at a fire, but it's better to be trusted. And that comes from just being with the men, uh, spending time in the kitchen. Don't bury yourself in the office and close the door. Um, it's a fine line. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a fine line to balance of being too much of one of the guys and then not being one of the guys at all. And you have to balance that correctly. But when you do, it kind of comes full circle and it all irons out. Um, simply meal prep, right? Um, guys are prepping a meal. Most times the officer disappears. I kind of like to hang around the early beginnings of meal prep because my opinion, that's a drill to me. Uh, if you don't do anything else for the tour, if you are prepping a meal, you're essentially drilling on where to fit in. If you're cutting peppers, guy walks in, he starts chopping onions. Next guy walks in, okay, let me get the sauces on the grill. Understanding where you fit in is critical on the fire floor, but it starts from the kitchen table. And if you could be in the moment, bonding with the guys, getting to know them a little bit, um, I'm not saying being in their way, but just being present, that goes a long way. Um, it's very similar to riding the river down, right? And you sit in a tube in a river and you kind of just go with the flow of the river. Eventually, you can kind of manipulate that tube in a river to either go to the bank on the left or the bank on the right. But you can't swim over directly within the moment. You kind of got to find the groove and flow of each firehouse. And I think that's very important, but it's also something that's been lost. Sure. And, you know, my personal experience um, you know, there's a lot of things I don't get involved in. I, I, I mean, I'll poke my head in and I'll kind of, uh, you know, throw my two cents in there, but what we have for dinner, unless they directly come to me and say, what do you want? I usually go, I'll just go with the flow. You, you know what I mean? I, I think there's a lot of things that need to need to be the guys, right? You got, you have to let the guys be the guys. You have to have that separation as the leader, as the officer. And you want to be close and part of it because you're still on that intimate level. I think, you know, when you're at that company officer level, you, like you said, you have to create that separation. But um, there's a saying from a book that I'm reading, um, and it's called The Wisdom of the Bullfrog. And one of the quotes he says is, I think it was from Pope Francis. And if I misquote this, I apologize. But it says, the shepherd should smell like a sheep. So what that means is you should be embedded with those that you're leading, right? So the shepherd leads the sheep to wherever they're going. As the officer, you, you can't lead from your office, right? You got to get out, go out on the floor, talk to the guys. And I think one of the biggest places for that is going to be the kitchen table. And I think the kitchen table has its own pulse. And one thing I've learned was, and this is what I'm bringing up, is you were talking about meal prep. I'll kind of help out and you know jump in where I can, but typically they have it. But 
the nice part is the conversation. How many times have you guys been getting your, your food together, doing whatever you're doing, and then a call comes out? Then you listen to that call. Or you talk about something from earlier in the day, and all that kind of starts spinning off into a whole nother conversation that can turn into tactics, that'll turn into, um, you know, ideologies or, you know, how you would handle a situation. And then that conversation just continues to ebb and flow and get bigger. Everyone starts coming in and um, starts participating, but then you're all together. You're creating that um, bond, you know, and this is something we talked about uh, before we started recording. I was telling you the firehouse that I work in, we don't have a day room, right? There's only two pla three places really to kind of congregate. And that's the tailboard of the wagon, uh, the kitchen table, or there's a training room in the back. Either way, Everyone has to be physical, not has to be, but everyone will most likely be together just by the way the spaces are. And I used to, I hear people say sometimes, and it's usually people that don't work, not the people on my shift, it's outsiders. They'll say, well, how do you guys get comfortable about with having no day room and all that? Well, now we're all together. So now we're shooting the shit. We're in rolly chairs. I mean, it's not like a nice leather recliner, but you could sit there for an hour or two between calls and talk and, you know, sharpen uh, sharpen your skills, you know, through talking or, you know, whatever. And you can, you don't have to always run around and pull hand lines, throw ladders and all that every hour of the day to be engaged, but you can create that engagement that will pay into, or will pay off on the fire ground. And it happens in the kitchen. It happens on the tailboard of the engine, but let get back to what I was getting at though, was in the kitchen, on the kitchen table, in the kitchen, at the kitchen table, excuse me. Um, it's just, as you said, people kind of, you can kind of tell who's going to do what everyone kind of fits into their place as far as what they talk about the discussion. There's typically a guy that has a lot more time than others. He'll start adding his two cents in, or, you know, they'll go, they'll talk to him and say, Hey, what do you think about this or that? And then everyone starts adding their own experiences. If there's a call they've been on like that, you know, you listen to other calls, you kind of talk about what you do, what you would do. And then before you know it, food's made, you guys have eaten dinner. Now you're, you're done cleaning up and you're still together. You're chatting, you're, you're engaged. And I got to tell you, you know, I have learned a lot more by just sitting back as an officer, sitting back and listening than I think I have ever done or I've ever learned from sitting in a classroom. Yeah. So the kitchen table, you know, we always say, Oh, the kitchen table is a church, right? It's a sanctuary. I don't really like that that terminology or that or that that phrase. To me, it's more of a therapy session. Think about church. Uh, we've all been to church. I'm not a big church guy, but we've all been to church at one point of our lives, I'm sure. Um, beyond the family speaking within each other, their immediate families, no one's really communicating at a church. Have you ever noticed that? People come to church. Um, after church, they congregate with very close friends or family, and everyone kind of disperses out into about their day. Um, that's not the kitchen table to me. Kitchen table is therapy. I was very, very fortunate. As my time as a firefighter, I worked in probably the best kitchen in the entire job, in the sense we did not have a TV, and we had a rule that was the 45-minute rule, that whenever we got done eating, didn't matter what time of night it was, it could be 2 in the morning, by the time we sat down and eat, we were done. We sat there for 45 minutes and had a therapy session. 
we listened and we talked. And a lot of times the officers did, like you said, just kind of sit back and watch. Um, again, being a good leader comes from knowing your men and them knowing you, but it's also from observing. And by observing and understanding that it truly is about mind, body, soul, and love. That's what this job is. And that's what the kitchen table is. It's about love. Um, do we break balls? Yes, because we love each other. And that comes from those moments, those times without the TV on, which is telling the same story over and over and over. And every time we tell it, it gets better and better and better. Um, so to me, that's the beauty of the kitchen table. Yeah. So much happens from from what happened with the probie when we went out on Friday night, all the way to a guy going through a divorce or a death in the family. Um, to what fire we had last night and what happened and what transpired and how we can do better. So it is a sanctuary and it's a therapy session more though than, than a, a church session, if you would. Um, but that's what it means to me. It's very, very important to me. And for places that don't value the kitchen table, I think it's time to look in the mirror and understanding that that truly is um, a progression to a successful outcome, not only in the firehouse culture life, the fire service moving forward, but on the fire floor. Sure. And they go hand in hand. I, I think if you have a good kitchen table culture, you will have a good fire ground um, trans, uh, translation. Translation. So once you start seeing, and this is something I'm sure you've noticed by now, over time you start to feel the pulse of the guys, right? You can kind of tell, you know, what they're about, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses, what, you know, how they tick, what ticks them off, all that. You can you kind of get a good feel for that. And then that's going to translate over into the fire ground where you can kind of tell, you know, what someone's going to do. You start building that that chemistry. Can you ever think of a time um, as either a firefighter or as an officer uh, where you were challenged? And by challenged, I mean um, the situation, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is happened you guys went back to the firehouse or on the scene and you talked about it and um you fixed the situation moving forward because i think when things do don't really go well or they go really well i mean i guess there's two sides of that coin um you know you have to address it you have to identify it and you have to talk about it almost look in the mirror um and address it with the crew can you think about it is there anything that comes to mind with that for you um Again, every fire we go to, we make mistakes. And I can't necessarily pinpoint a fire because there's multiple fires where mistakes were made or we were challenged. I think it's bringing that company back or that hot wash or that tailboard torque or whatever the terminology department uses. As a leader or a senior firefighter, I think that it's very, very important that you set the tempo of the debriefing by starting with what you did wrong. And then the other men will follow because the young firefighters don't want to let you down and they're scared to make mistakes. And again, every fire we go to, we make a mistake. Um, but by you kind of breaching the wall and saying, man, you know what? I could have done this a little bit. Better. What'd you do in this situation? And bounce it off him. Again, collectively, we can progressively move forward um, as a company and get better that much quicker by collectively talking about mistakes. Um, did my career in a truck company. I started in an engine, but very quickly transferred to the truck, and I spent the majority of my career there. 
um, looking back to the truck company as a firefighter, a lot of room for mistakes. Um, being a truckie comes from within. And that's the beauty of it. They call it an art for a reason because it is very personal. It's an artistic form of firefighting. Um, but we can make mistakes that nobody even knows about. And that's where a lot of times people look at these truckies and realize, wow, they're so polished or this or that, but there's so many mistakes from within that were made and they're not being addressed. Now the engine company, a little different. Um, zero room for error, being that it comes from company integrity and that company integrity is so critical. And we don't talk about that a lot of times. Um, most times when we have a fatal fire, it comes from the lack of water getting put on the fire. Um, so water on the fire saves more lives than anything else. And we all know that. It's, not, it's nothing new. But we have to understand that company integrity when operating in an engine company is critical. We have to keep that line progressively moving forward. We have to treat the fire service. It must remain moving forward. That's what we've lost over time. Staffing is an issue. I understand that. And I, I hear it every day. But um, let's not get caught up in the staffing issues. Let's just get water on the fire. So what I'm getting at with this is that the truck company, a lot of room for error. Unless we're operating on the roof, life-saving rope, zero room for error. Engine company, very, very little room for error. We cannot stretch short. So that teamwork mindset, you have to come collectively and discuss your mistakes together as a team, as an engine company, rather than what the truckies can kind of bounce ideas of what they could have done better here and there if that makes any bit of sense but no it does and i think it's the whole point of why i brought it up was you know you, you said about the kitchen table earlier about how you kind of sit back and you kind of listen and i think the people that you lead see that i think they see you kind of fall into place where you need to but when you do those hot washes that's the time to step up and that's the time to take control and that's the time as you said to you know, take the reins. So I think, um, I mean, you were pretty spot on, you, you know, I, I think that in its most simplistic form, water puts out the fire, right? And the engine company is going to do that, not the ladder truck. The truck is a support service. And just as in the military, in the military, the infantry is the focus, the Everything else is just support. So if you go down to its most, the bare bone basics of what the fire service is and to the most simple form, it will be an engine with water to put out fire and firefighters to ride the engine to put water on the fire. Everything else, as you start fanning out and you go into different, you know, through the chain of command, all, all those things are just support. Now, when you are at that most basic level of the engine putting out water, putting out fires, it does it with water. And that comes from preparation and the basics. So none of that happens without leadership. None of that happens without buy-in. None of that happens without everyone being on the same page. And then everything else starts falling into place where the trucks will come in, do their thing. The squads will come in there, do, do their thing. EMS is there if they need it, commands there to run it. And it'll, but it all anchors down, as I said before, the water boils from the bottom of the pot. That's the goal of the fire service is water on the fire. So, you know, and I don't want to say none of that will happen without the officer, but preparation is key and leadership is key. Can you think of any times since you've been an, even an officer, I'm sorry, for how long now? A year. A year. 
can you think of any of the challenges you've had since you're a transitioning officer, you're transitioning from firefighter to officer, you're in your first year. Can you think of any uh, situations or specifically fires that um, were particularly challenging to you and you had to call on your experience as a firefighter, the kind of the back to basics kind of uh, idea. Can you think of anything like that? Yeah. So not so much calling on my experiences, but re, but re, relying on the brothers I were working with to kind of reset me. Um, again, doing my career in a truck company, I had my cadence down pretty good. I had my flow, my rhythm. Um, every fire I went to, I was dialed in. I felt I was unstoppable. Um, that comes, I think, with experience of making ultimately many mistakes to get to a certain point. Unstoppable in the sense where you kind of just get good at what you do, if whatever it is you've been doing a long time. Um, getting promoted and then moving on out of that role as a backstep firefighter administratively is a challenge. Um, I'm not going to lie. That's probably the biggest challenge. But on the fire ground, what I found commending an engine company rather than being in a truck company was I was out of position. And I had to have the guys kind of dial me in um, in a nice way. But kind of say, hey, Lou, um, this is kind of how we do this. Uh, I still had that truck tempo down where it took a few fires for me to understand that the engine has a different cadence than the truck. Um, the engine has the cadence, more of a march, if you will, marching forward, right? Has that tempo, setting that tempo. But when you're in the truck, the tempo is more of a dance, right? Um, you're dancing your way into position. That's why it's such an art form. It's very individualism. Um, being a truckie comes from within. Again, going back to integrity, the engine company is more team. So again, setting that cadence is very important by the engine officer. The guys are going to stretch regardless um, if the engine's there or not, or the engine officer is there or not. Um, when you work a good engine, it just happens that way. But setting that cadence is very important. And then where the truck is, that tempo, that flow, um, if it all comes together, that's where you find the rhythm. And Rhythm is what makes a professional firefighter, not a paycheck. It's finding that rhythm within that flow state formula, that time signature within music on the fire ground. That's why organized chaos is the, is the quote you always hear on the fire ground. And it's so true. It's a beautiful thing. But when you find that rhythm is what makes this job so incredibly addictive. Um, but making that transformation from engine to truck and truck to engine, it's a little bit different and you have to be dialed into it. You also need to be dialed into um, understanding the basics. I, I think, you know, yeah, you said that whether you say it or not, the line's going to get stretched. Any good, any good engine company is going to do that. But I also think um, that you have to have that confidence. You have to have the knowledge to know what needs to get done. And and I think when you have a good, strong foundation, I think you're going to be able to, just as you can at the kitchen table, figure out where you fit in. You figure out where you fit in on this, on this when you're stretching the lines or when you're doing the truck work. But ultimately, and I liked what you brought up about organized chaos. It is organized chaos, but if you stop and think about it, you probably know what everyone's going to be doing. It doesn't matter who's doing it, what, which guy on the ladder truck. You know the outside vent guy is going to be venting windows, doing whatever he needs to do, hitting the uh, fire escapes, going to the roof, whatever it is. The officer is going to be trying to find the fire. The line, the guys on the line are going to be getting the line in place, and you figure out where you fit in. So it is very, very chaotic from the outside observer. 
But I think on our level, once you get to that level of uh, proficiency, you know, in theory, where you should be and what should be getting done. And then I think that's where you just fill in that gap. And I think that's got to be tough. I mean, I was never, I've never been a detail officer. So I've always had a crew um, that I worked with day in, day out. So I'm sure that brings its challenges. But I think when you orchestrate operations, as long as you're able to communicate, I think everything's going to get done. And I think that's what's going to keep everything um, moving in a steady pace. You, you know, like the officer is going to be that backbone that's going to direct, guide, encourage, and push or pull back the rein. Hopefully everyone's really aggressive and you have to uh, pull back the reins more than you have to push. But, you know, I think it's just your orchestra to, uh, to conduct. Yeah. Um, so time is a tool, <laughs> excuse me, time's a tool on the fire ground. Um, and as a firefighter or an officer, it's very, very critical that we understand this, that if we can manipulate time, we can manipulate energy and if we can manipulate the energy within our firefighters. We have a successful outcome of getting proper position on the fire. Um, that's what it comes down to. Successful firefighting is gaining position. Uh, that's like what you said. It doesn't matter who it is. If you have the OV, you're going to go vent the window. Um, that comes from trust. And again, it all stems from the kitchen table and understanding who you're working with, knowing their personalities, know what's going on at home. So when we do go out the door, I know that Joe's going to go get to the rear and get in position because he's squared away. His mind's in the game for the day. Now, at the kitchen table, if you realize Joe's having a tough day, uh, maybe you pull him aside. Maybe you talk to him before the day the, the tour starts. That way, so when you do go out the door, there's no question of who's gaining into position. Because gaining position is everything. We have to gain position opposite, above, and ahead of the hose line in the truck company. Getting position in the engine company is getting water on the fire quickly. And it all comes from working together and, and understanding that time, essentially, is a tool. It also comes down to tempo that or the uh, the pace that you set as the officer too, because you know there's a big difference in personal power and positional power, right? So if you go to a fire, hey, I'm the lieutenant, we need to go do X, Y, and Z. They're probably going to listen to you. Well, they're going to listen to you most likely. But when where it really starts paying off with the personal power, where they know, you know, Mickey's proven himself. He's did 20 years as a firefighter. He's now a newer officer. He's working here with us today. You know, I know he's the lieutenant, but I know he knows what he's doing. And this looks really hairy, but he says we're good and he's telling me to keep pushing in. I'm going to do it because I trust him. I'm going to do it because he's proven himself. You know what I mean? And, and I think I think that sets, the, that sets the tempo for the call. And I think when you have the ability for people to follow you because they want to follow you because it's you, is much diff a much different outcome and a better outcome you're going to have on the fire ground than as if, you know, you're that unsure, scared guy or girl that just doesn't know what they're doing. And you're going to see that tempo of the engine or that tempo of the, um, the unit, it's going to drop. It's going to get slower. They're, they're probably going to hesitate from following you. And it's going to, and it's going to have a really bad translation in the fire ground. I think that there's people out there that um, don't quite grasp that. And I think when you have buy-in, trust, camaraderie, and love amongst the whole crew, you have that crew integrity. I think those companies look completely different, different, excuse me, than the ones that don't have that. And I think that's 
from a strong leader creating that backbone. Because I, th- I still think, in my personal opinion, uh, regardless of what your department is, that first, that lowest level supervisor, whether you're a lieutenant, captain, sergeant, whatever it is, you set that tempo. You're that backbone, and they're the backbone of the fire service, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is why I like double houses. You know, there's there's something special about a single house, like a single engine company. Um, usually, tremendous, tremendous engine companies, very, very close, tight knit guys that know each other. They know how each other operates. Um, but I tend to lean towards the double houses because of of that reason of, of that tempo, like you were speaking of, where like the engine and truck are gonna work together, the truck's gonna find the fire, the engine's gonna be stretching in a position, but everyone's so intimately know each other within the moment that we know that so-and-so is gonna find the fire, so-and-so is gonna get the roof, so-and-so is gonna stretch the line, we're not gonna stretch short, because you already have that tempo internally in the firehouse that's thriving. And again, that comes from the company level leader, um, setting that cadence in the firehouse, but it also comes from the senior guy, at least in my job, um, the senior guy is everything, and that's what we're losing in the fire service are those senior members. Um, unfortunately, it's just ebbs and tides. It's how we go with the flow, but we are losing senior guys, I, I think, probably in every department in the country. But that truly, that's truly who sets the tempo, at least in my firehouses I've ever worked at, is that senior guy and how important they are. They'll set the tempo from the, from the, from the morning ball breaking in the kitchen table so the tones go off and now they're the chauffeur and they're and they respond to the fire or the box, they set that tempo. It, it takes the officer to be aligned and parallel with that senior guy. It's so very, very important that the senior guy and the officers are on the same team. Yeah, and you have to be able to rely on them. I mean, there's you need to have non-negotiables. Um, you know, once you leave the door or once you leave out the firehouse and you're going down the road for whatever it is, it's not a democracy. It is a dictatorship. However, you should never completely shut people out. You should never just say, well, I'm the officer. I'm, this is what's going on. No. Now, you can always take feedback or you can always – you need to be able to make your decision in a timely manner and make a decision because indecision is ultimately a decision, right? So you need to be able to rapid fire those decisions. However, being able to lean on um, your senior people or people on the on the on their crew. Um you know, I've had several situations where I said, hey, guys, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And somebody said, hey, LT, did you see this, that, or the other? No, I didn't see that. That's going to change my tactic. Thank you. You should always create that. You should always foster that environment to where people are not afraid to say something. And that, you know, ultimately you are in charge. The decision you make is the decision you make. But you don't want yes men that just blindly follow you. You want them to be able to not be afraid to say something. And I've had a few situations, like I said a second ago, I don't want to repeat myself, but you know, I, I was heading down a path and someone said, hey, LT, did you see this? And it made me change. And in the moment, and it was on a fire, in the moment, I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was a simple, you know, he said something. Later on down the road, a few months later, it came back up in a conversation during a ball breaking session in the kitchen shocker where they remember that they saw that and it made a big difference. And, you know, you, you have to be able to foster trust because trust is trust, right? You, you can't hide it. You can't fake it. They either trust you or they don't. You have to foster that environment for them to be able to speak up. What do you think about that? Um, 
Yeah, so I always tell young firefighters, listen more than you talk, but when you do speak, speak from the heart. Um, and that goes, parallels with the kitchen table, to the firehouse culture. But even at a fire, you kind of got to remain silent, follow the boss's lead. But if you do see something that you feel is important, you have to say it. And you have to say it with authority. Don't be scared because you have a, a probably patch on your helmet or you have two or three years in the job and the boss has 25 years. You have to be, you have to be on that level of, of, of communication. And again, it comes from the trust and knowing one another and, and knowing each other on a personal, intimate level. Uh, I'm not saying you have to go to his house on the weekend for a barbecue, but having that understanding, that, that, that trust with one another is so important. It will allow that young firefighter to make that decision. Um, circling back to the firehouse, though, um, and the senior man, I've been very fortunate in every firehouse I've ever worked in that the men run the firehouse. The officer, the officers, when we go out to the river fire, but internally it is run by the senior men and the pecking order of seniority that goes down to, all the way down to the youngest probie. And it's really a beautiful thing when you work in a good place and you can kind of hang back as the officer and watch it unfold and watch that, that leadership from within. Um, that's what sets successful companies up for success, not only on the fire ground, but for molding those young firefighters into great firefighters by understanding where they fit in. Again, not just at the fire ground, but the pecking order of the firehouse life. And that's something that we're getting lost and we're getting away from is the leadership from within because people are scared to be leaders now, right? There's so many complaints filed, um, charges given for things that were simply just teaching of the future of this job. And it's pretty sad to see, but when you work in a good place, that doesn't really exist. But the bad places um, where the officers do have to run the firehouse, that's where you see the problems. Sure. And, you know, I, I'm trying to, I want to circle back. You said um, where they dropped, and I want to make sure I understand this correctly, they dropped charges instead of handling it in the firehouse. Is that what you're saying? No, there, there's no, nothing comes to mind of any, any, incident i'm just saying when the men run the firehouse usually those things don't happen um it's the firehouses where the officers think they run the firehouse is where you see the problems come in um i've been very fortunate to work in great places throughout my career where the men truly run the firehouse and i was just kind of stressing the fact that we can't get away from the history and the traditions of the senior men setting the pace of the firehouse sure so, yeah, and that all circles back into handling things at the lowest level. Exactly. And at the lowest level, it's going to be the firefighters handling those things, right? So if you have a guy running his mouth, doing whatever it is, you hopefully have that environment where somebody checks him like, hey, Rick, let's go talk real quick. And the officer can just, you got, they come back, they're good. Or that firefighter comes back and says, hey, dude, I just talked to Rick. We're good. We got it. Go do something else. All right, cool. Handle. And again, this comes back to, you know, the job is dead. The millennials are ring the fire service. Today's generation doesn't get it. Statements we hear daily, but if we nip it in the bud from early on, it's going to correct these and we're going to take back this job and make it even better. Absolutely. And the other thing that I want to jump, not jump into, but the one thing I want to touch on real quick is you, I mean, it, especially in today's fire service, in my opinion, you don't have to be 
the most time on to be the senior guy. Senior guy is not a um, measurement of time. Senior is your attitude, how you carry yourself, your knowledge, um, being a mentor for someone, having someone mentor you. That's good for being an officer as well. Have a mentor, be a mentor. But, you know, you, um, <clears throat> it's all about uh, how, you dis- how you carry yourself. Your actions will always speak louder your, than your words. So, you know, you got a guy with eight years on and he has the wisdom of an eight-year guy and the motivation of someone that's a rookie still at his eight years. You know what I mean? And what I'm getting at is, I mean, I don't know what the senior man is in New York City as far as, um, I know it's an unofficial title and all that, but in the fire department I work for, you can have somebody in a firehouse with five years on and they have the most time on besides the officer. And sometimes five years may be the exact same amount of time as the officer because we, we have the ability to promote very young. Uh, you only need five years on to promote. You can get hired at 18. That makes you 23 if you hit all your benchmarks correctly in a, in a quick amount of time. So, you know, you could have, you could have that five-year guy that knows absolutely everything about the area, knows absolutely everything about how the firehouse runs. He handles everything at his level and he personifies what a good senior firefighter should be. That leadership, informal leadership and, um, is the role model for the guys with, you know, younger or, um, who aren't as motivated. So don't always think just because you only have five, six years on, you can't take steps to personify what a senior firefighter or a senior man is. Yeah. Like you said, it's not age or time on the job. It's about how real your drive is. It's the understanding the potential, stepping into your potential and then owning it. You really have to exceed your own expectations moving forward. Um, and you can become a senior guy very quickly, but not just a senior guy at the house. Like how real your drive is, is, is understanding potential and stepping into it is quickly. You're the probie in the house. Six, eight months goes by. Now there's another probie behind you. So you, he's a mentor, right? That he becomes the junior guy, the junior probie, if you sense. And now you have to step into being the senior probie, um, so there is a responsibility with that, too, of guiding this young firefighter. When I say young firefighter, he's got days in the firehouse setting him up for success. Um, so often we see young pro- young probies come into the firehouse and you always get the guy jumps right in and starts telling probably all these things. Like, this is going to be this, 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 this. And the most times that's the guy that we don't want telling anybody anything. And then you usually see the other senior guy walk over and say, everything he just told you, forget. And you see that a lot, which is kind of funny, but there's a very big responsibility of becoming that next next mentor in the in the in the progression of the firehouse. So we have the probies, the junior man, and then we have middle management, then we have upper management, then we have senior man. And I'm very fortunate being a New York City fireman that these this is how our culture works and it's very, very successful. Um I know that not everyone has that opportunity or has that ability to have that pecking order within the firehouse, but it's something that I think every fire department should strive to build because it it really truly is um, a successful rate that is untouchable. I agree. And I'm going to pull something out. We're hitting right at that one hour mark. So I want to touch on one more thing and we'll start to wrap this up. 
Um, I'm going to pull this right from one of your posts about mediocrity. And this, I think, ties a lot of this in very well. And says, remember, being a great firefighter has nothing to do with your age or time on the job. It all it has to do with how real your drive is, realizing and understanding your potential, stepping into it and owning it. Exceed your own expectations, reject mediocrity, change yourself, change your job. And the reason why I pulled this little excerpt out specifically is why we're here. We're here to talk about leadership at the company officer level. So if you were to take this exact quote, and as an officer, being a great officer has nothing to do with age or time on the job. It has everything to do with how real your drive is and understanding your potential, stepping into it and owning it. Exceed your own, exceed your own expectations, reject mediocrity, change yourself, change the job. And what a better place to do that, set the tempo, be the man as there is being a company officer, whether it's your first year or your 15th year as an officer, it doesn't matter. That's why we're here. Um, Mickey, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, before we get going, is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Anybody you want to give a shout out to? Did we miss anything that you wanted to touch on? No, it was good, man. Really grateful for being on here. You've had some tremendous guests. So I'm honored to be a part of it. Um, I just, I want you to remember, uh, anyone listening, that we cannot claim wisdom. For wisdom is, is something that we share with one another. Um, and the best way to achieve knowledge is by sharing it. So share your knowledge. The senior guys out there, you officers, share the knowledge. You come down to the kitchen to get a little ice cream around 11 o'clock at night, and you see your probie sitting at the table, share your wisdom because they're looking for it. That's why they're sitting there. Sure. Mickey, thank you. Don't go anywhere while I close this out. Okay. Uh, everybody, please follow Mickey Farrell, Top Floor Tactics on Instagram. Uh, we're going to add some links to his social media in the episode description. So thanks for listening to Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Hit that download and subscribe button and leave us a review. We're going to read them all. Five stars is our favorite. It helps us grow the show and grows this community. Please stay tuned in the next few weeks for more episodes coming out. And everyone, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Uh, tip of the Spear Leadership. Be present. Be yourself. Be unstoppable. Have a great day, guys. Thank you.